Thank you, Nick. Thank you, choir. Wow. I'm ready to go to heaven. <clears throat> well, opening statement. A uh, life engaged little with others is a life engaged little with God. A life engaged little with others is a life engaged little with God. Too radical of a statement? I actually don't think so. Uh, The Christian walk only goes so far without being engaged with the life of others. Um, In fact, the Christian life takes on a whole other dimension when we engage with others. By the way, uh, I'm not talking about being a people person. I, I am not talking about being someone where you have a lot of people around you. I'm not talking about being busy with people. I'm talking about having relationships where the gospel is engaged in them. Talking about side by side, life on life, shoulders rubbing shoulders kind of relationships. Do you have those kind of relationships? Uh, many people uh, over the years now have talked at times with me like kind of the whole Christian life is just topped out. Almost where it's like, so this is it. And um, I really think one of the main reasons for that is because we're not engaged with other people in a gospel-centered kind of a way. I'm just telling you, a relationship with Jesus Christ demands relationships with others. It's the fuel. Why is that? Because God loves others. Because God has chosen to engage himself with us. Thank you, God. We're on this uh, study right now of uh, a radical call. Um, kind of uh, using this as a time to challenge us, to shake us, to cause us just to reconsider, rethink. Oh, what is my life all about? Where am I going? What am I doing? What really is the deal? We've talked out of Mark chapter 12, uh, two things Jesus talked about. If you want to boil it all down, it's two things. It's to love God and it's to what? Love others. We are right now in this place of digging down and drilling down in this love others section here. And we actually will be for the next couple months until uh, up until Easter and may even be on Easter that we continue on this. Love others. The call to love others includes a call to love the nations. Includes a call to love the nations. Uh, We're drilling down here today. Now, when I say about a call to love the nations, I want for you to understand my definition of this. I am not talking about people outside of our border. I'm talking about where the scriptures talks about how God loves all tribes, all tongues, all nations. Oh, and that includes us, doesn't it? We're part of the all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And do you realize that the person sitting next to you is part of the all tribes, all tongues, all nations? Oh, and by the way, when you go into work tomorrow, all the people around you, they're a part of all the nations. And the people that you see in Wisconsin on the news, guess what? They're a part of all the nations. No, seriously. And the people you've seen over in Egypt doing all the things that are going on over there, they're part of all the nations. And get this, God wants us to love them all. 
So often we look like the people in Wisconsin right now. I'm not even going on where you are in that whole issue. I'm just saying those people in Wisconsin, they're annoying me because they're taking so much time of the news. Right? Can't we talk about something different for a while? Uh, The people over in Egypt, they annoy me because my gas price is going up. Can't they just go away? Hey, listen, I want to remind us, God loves the nations. And if my father loves the nations, if the spirit of God loves the nation, if the son of God loves the nations, if the first person, second person, third person of the Trinity loves the nations, guess what? So should we. So should you. So should I. So here's what today is about. Today is just about setting a course for us to drill down on this. And first, we're going to start with this. Hear the love the nations call. Hear it. Now, some of you, having grown up in church most of your life, are really nervous right at this moment. And you may be nervous because you are expecting that at the end of the service, this is going to be a call for all people who are going to be missionaries. Okay? I'm not going there today. Everybody just chill. Take a breath. Take a big breath. Ready? Now. Okay? Here's what today is about. I just want for us to hear the scriptures. I want for us to consider the scriptures. I'm telling you, I'm not even going and talking about how that specifically is supposed to be lived out. Today, let's just hear it and let's just consider it. Okay? Can we do that? Okay, God, I would pray as we dig into your word that you would help us to be great hearers of your word. God, you love the world. And I need more of that kind of love. We need more of that kind of love. In other words, we need to be more like you. God, we love you as we love others. So help us to hear you and help us to consider it seriously. Put it on our plate. We're willing to consider it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, you've got some people coming around with one. You can see on your notes in the update for this that uh, uh, we're going to be going to a lot of passages. So if you're new to the Bible, here's what I'd like for you to do. Kind of keep your finger in the contents page. Very beginning of the Bible, keep your finger there. And uh, we're just going to be flipping around. You can see what the next passage is on those notes that we're going to go to. And you can kind of prepare yourself because I want for your eyes in the scriptures. Okay, that's where we're going to be going. So let's start at John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Now, John 3, verse 16 is what I call the field goal verse. It's always the verse you see in a football game. People are holding up, you know, through the field goal there so they can get on TV, right? Okay, what does that verse say? It says this, for God so loved the what? God so loved the world. Hey, I, uh, just side note. If you come in today and you've had, you know, you're kind of like had a rough week or had a rough life. I want you to know there is a God and that God loves you. I'm serious about that. He's not hanging over you wanting to crush you because you annoy him. He loves you. And he wants to be an integral redeeming part of your life. In fact, he wants for your life to be about him. God loves you. For God so loved the world that he, what? That he gave. Listen, love is here. As we are talking about this, is not an emotion. So as we talk about love the nations, I'm not talking about where we all sit back and go, I just love the nations. I just feel all warm and pittery pattery. When I think of the nations, when I think of the world, when I think of people at work, I just, I'm overwhelmed by Barney. I just love. That's not what we're talking about. Love is first and foremost an action. An action. You know what it's like, parents? Times where you wake up in the night if you have a new baby and the baby's screaming and you're like, right now, I'm struggling on the feeling the love for you. But you love. Isn't that right, Shay? You guys know right now. Hey, with parents, it's that way. Hey, married couples, we know what we're talking about here. There's some days you wake up and you're like, I'm not feeling it right at the moment. Listen, if love was an emotion, we'd all be in big trouble. Because you look in the scriptures and we can see where God at times is like, I'm fed up. 
But God chooses, and we choose here. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, we usually stop there, but look at verse 17. We're trying to hear God's love for the nations here. Hear the call. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the what? But in order to who? Listen, God loves the world. Not just you and not just me. Let's get out of our bubble. God is not here just for me. I am here for him. And in fact, we all were created to be worshipers of him. And God loves all the world. Uh, Let's go to the next passage here. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Here we're in the Sermon of the Mount. It's towards the beginning of this. Uh, This is about a sermon given on a what? On a mount. (laughs) Okay? Uh, We really get technical about Sermon on the Mount kind of terminology. Here's what's happening. Jesus is interacting and teaching a very large group. In fact, can you say huge? It's a huge group of people. He's teaching them. And uh, right before this is the Beatitudes, if you're familiar with the Bible. Blessed be, blessed are, blessed are. Let's pick up verse 13, Matthew chapter 5. He says to this huge, what kind of crowd? Huge crowd. He says, you are the salt of the what? Uh, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the what? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put under a bushel. No. Right? Okay, everybody, let's just get it going. Hide it under a bushel. Okay, that's what he was teaching. He taught it just like that too. (laughs) Had the whole height, you know, the sign language. Anyway, but on a stand, it gives light to the whole house. Uh, Verse 16, the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What's the point? Verse 13, you are the salt to just your home. No. To just your city. No. To, uh, to, to just your county. No. You are the salt to where? The world. Look, you, you are light to just your school. No. To just your work. No. Just your family. No. Just your neighbor. No. You are to be light to the... Now... The world. Are you serious about that? Is that really what Jesus meant? He was, Jesus was saying to these people, oh, by the way, let's think for just a second, who are these people? Because obviously he had to be at a pastor's conference. He's talking to pastors here on this tiered area and he's talking to them around the Sea of Galilee and he's saying, Pat, is that what's happening? Okay, then this is a missionary conference. These are for people who are overseas full-time. I mean, these are for, like, the real people who love Jesus. Ugh. This is just for the mission. No. Who are these people? These are lay people. These are you people. Isn't that cool? Or is that daunting? I think it's daunting. Listen, here's what God says to his people. Follower of Christ. You, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you and you and you and you. I'm saying, Jesus is saying, you are to be salt to the whole world. You are to be light to the whole world. Just hang on. But that's what he's saying, isn't it? I'm just trying to bring the reality of what Christ is saying. Can we agree that that's what he's saying? That is what he's saying, and that is who he's saying it to. Let's go to Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the end of the Gospel of Mark, a little right in your ways, right in your Bible. Last chapter of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15. This is after Christ has been crucified on the cross. It's after he's been resurrected from the dead. He's after he's shown himself to literally hundreds of people after his resurrection. And here, this is kind of the uh, the great commission of the gospel of Mark, verse 15. And he said to them, go, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to who? 
the whole creation. It's kind of like going to the world. And let me restate that just in case you didn't get the world concept, the whole creation. Now, he's talking to this, this group of individuals. Well, that's for the apostles. That's their job. That's what he's talking to. That's their deal. This doesn't apply of any application to me. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Do you remember some weeks ago when I talked about how God loves to multiply? All the way from Adam and Eve to Abraham, all the way through with the Israelites, all the way through. Listen, I want to tell you, God loves multiplication. And here God is talking about to them, listen, I want for you to go. Uh, By the way, did you notice here, and it is actually this way in the Greek, it's not saying, I want for you to gather some other people and send them over. It's not saying, I would like for you to gather some money and send some money out. It's saying, you go. Now, the scriptures also talk about how churches... We see in the epistles, churches did gather people together and send them. We see how churches did gather together and gather money together and send that out. That's absolutely there. But folks, I want to be careful here that we do not push this aside. The reality is, is that scriptures tell us here that it's a no, you go. Wait a second, Doug. I thought you said we're not going to go and tell me that I got to go over to Africa or I've got to go to North America or I'm sorry, South America. I've got to go to like the North Pole. I'm not going there. I'm just saying here, what Jesus is interacting here, he is saying, you go. There's a personal thing in this. Well, if we want to stay on the thing, well, that's just for other people and not for me. Let's keep going. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is literally right before Christ ascends into heaven. He's talking there. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the where the ends of the earth. I want for you to understand here, we don't have time to go into it, but just briefly, Jesus basically has given them a strategy. Here's what I want for you to do. I want for you to start impacting the world, being my witnesses in the world, and I want for you to do it locally, I want for you to do it regionally, and I want for you to do it internationally. I'll just tell you behind the scenes here, we are right now as a church, we are in the process of putting together a strategic plan called Beyond Our Walls that is about local ministry, regional ministry, and international ministry. Why? Because that's what Acts 1 talks about. And we want to be that kind of place. But I'm telling you this, we are keying in on first and foremost trying to be a church that's a church. And not just get busy out and then not have this. We're trying to strengthen this to a place of disciples are functioning and growing and catching the call here, and we're going to be doing more and more and more and more. I'm telling you, I cannot wait for five years from now. More of this is happening, and we are in this walk-before-we-run development as a church local ministry here. But first today, this is all about, I just want for us to hear it, catch it, and get it in our DNA. Are you hearing the call that God wants you to love the nations? Last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a little to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're in the hear the call, the final verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's start with verse 17. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Love that. The old has passed away, Uh, love that. The new has come, thrilled about that. Uh, So what's the new? Well, here's some of it. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Doug, that's talking about Paul and his ministry team. Listen. I just want to clarify this. If we get the idea, if we read through Scripture that that's for them, we will never get the fact that this is for me. And I'm just bringing in here that we see throughout Scripture from beginning to end, not only does God love the nations, but God calls us to love the nations. Hey, listen, do you hear that? I'm serious about this. Do you, do we hear that God has called you, follower of Christ, to be a person that has a built-in love for the nations? See, everyone right now is kind of going, but what does that look like? Aren't you? But, 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 
Isn't it? Isn't that the fact? Is it? Uh, I don't want to force you. It is with me when I hear about this. Uh, Turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. We've just finished talking about hear the call to love the nations. Uh, I just want for us to know the, the scriptures tell us we need to have a love for the nations. I'm not even talking about what that looks like. I'm just laying it on the table. That's what the scriptures say. And remember, what God calls us to do, God equips us to do. God would not call us to do something, lay something on our plate that is impossible for you to do. That it could not be a loving God would do that. Instead, God put something out. Maybe it's a matter of we need to kind of get together in our thinking a right way of taking a look at all this. Well, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. The reason for that is because at this point in time when we hear the fact that God says love the nations and God says go to the nations um, in this, we struggle to own it. We really do. We can hear it, but we struggle to own it. Like, uh, me? I mean, (laughs) me? Everybody say it. Yeah. <laughs> do I sound that goofy? <laughs> okay, I, apparently I do. Jeremiah chapter 1. Let me give you some hope here. Seriously, let me give you some hope. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Here's Jeremiah, verse 4. Uh, now the word of the Lord came to me. In other words, God uh, communicated here to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. Wow. That's an awesome God right there. Uh, And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, please understand this. This is specifically, God is talking to Jeremiah and giving him a unique call than what the kind of call I'm talking about. Listen, there's no one in this room that is getting the call like Jeremiah got. Okay? Jeremiah got a call that you are to be a prophet. Old Testament times, before the scripture is complete, you're to be a prophet. Uh, But here's the deal. Uh, We have a call. It's similar but unique from this. But just take a look at what happens here. Jeremiah has this call. By the way, Jeremiah, the the use of the word here is referring to someone. We don't know exactly how old he was, but the word that's used here that Jeremiah is about to say is a word that most oftentimes is used referring to someone who's 14 to 17 years old. God just gave this to a high school kid. Can you believe that? If I were a high school kid, I would be like, so, uh, uh. let's take a look here in Jeremiah verse six. Then I, Jeremiah said, ah, Lord, behold, it's like, listen, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a youth. I'm only a teen. God, you got the wrong address. You must be talking about someone else, not me. I bring this up just for effective. Isn't it encouraging that someone else in the Bible or or people in the Bible also struggle to own the call? Well, maybe it was just because he was a teen. He's still kind of young in life. I know teens, I know you got it all figured out, but I'm just telling you, you're still kind of young in life. Okay, here's what I want for you to do. Maybe an older guy would get it. Turn to Exodus chapter three. Uh, Let's join an 80-year-old man. Maybe he gets it better. In fact, an 80-year-old man that is like one of the coolest men in the Bible. Moses has got to get it. I mean, Moses is the kind of guy, when God calls him, I mean, he's there right then now. All right? Here we go. Exodus chapter 3. Let me just point out a few of these verses. Uh, if you're not sure exactly who Moses is, Moses was raised, as, or born as a Hebrew slave. Uh, they were killing all the kids, and so mom floated him down into, under the sovereignty of God. Ended up in Pharaoh's house as one of Pharaoh's children, if you will. Was raised in Pharaoh's home. And then circumstances are such that he like has to bail out of that situation. And so he becomes a nomad. I mean, he goes to like a place on the earth that I would never want to live. It's like dirt, dust, nothing. And he's a shepherd. And so one day he's now 80 years old. He's been doing this whole nomad thing for decades now. He's got this figured out and he's not like looking for God. We don't see anywhere in the scriptures where Moses is like, you know what, God, I, 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 I saw him in awe of you. You've been working in my heart and, and, and God missions is the passion of my life. 
And God, could you send me somewhere? Because missions is what I'm all about. That's my thing. I love people who are doing kids ministries. Do your thing. I love people who are doing small groups. Do your thing. I love people who are doing that. Do your thing. Well, this happens to be my ministry thing, God. We don't see anything like that baloney. We just see a guy taking care of his sheep. And all of a sudden, God shows up. And take a look. He shows up and he shows up in a burning bush. God's hilarious. Look at verse 10, chapter 3 of Exodus. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children out of Israel, out. Like, God, um, I never prayed for that. In fact, that's never even been in my mind. Some other people back then at one time maybe thought, but that's not my plan. So look what Moses does here. He's 80 years old, verse 17, I believe it is. Or I'm sorry, verse 11. Uh, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I get that. Go to verse 12. But God said, but Moses, I, I will be with you. And I don't know how the inflection went, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve me on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, but, but, but if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and, and they ask me, you know, what is his name? What shall I have? Is Moses on thrilled about this whole thing? I'm not seeing that. So God here, he lets them know, listen, just say this. Just go gather the elders, get things together. They'll listen. Uh, by the way, Moses, I don't know if you're putting this in perspective, but I'm God. Okay, I'm God. I I get more than you do. And yet here, take a look, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me. They won't listen to my voice. Go to verse 10. God speaks, then verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I've never been eloquent in the past. I'm not eloquent now. God, come on, serious. Now look at the next one, verse 13. But then he said, oh, my Lord, send someone else. Hey, when we talk about hear the call, we go through the same reality of thinking. God, you have given me this massive task. You're saying that I'm supposed to love the nations, go to the world. I'm just one little peon. Guys like Moses get that. Guys like Jeremiah get that. What was their struggle? Same struggle we have. How big is God? How big is your God? Because he certainly couldn't have been serious about that. Because he knows who I am. God's really not that big. You see, that's often the reality of what our processing of this does show in our own hearts. We have a little God view. Imagine with me just for a moment. We're a church of, say, 500 Let's just say this whole concept of God says love the nations is like a a big giant pie. I don't know. It's like 30 feet in diameter. And it's like 20 feet deep. Uh, you're going, I'm in. Okay. If it was huge and God says, listen, I want for you to eat this thing. I'm like, come on. You know that's impossible. Well, now let's think about this. What if all 500 started getting involved eating that thing? Could it be doable? Much more so. You see, we have such an individualistic view of me and God that we have so lost sight of God's church and God's power through his church. Folks, this call is a team call. This isn't just about you alone. 
But this is about you and 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 me and you and you and you and you and you and you. That sounds cool. Doesn't the whole thing change? The whole mindset changed. The whole perspective changes. This isn't being about swarmed with the earth on your shoulders. This is about all of us taking a piece of it. God, I think you're big enough. If you've called me to be a person who thinks about the world, who has a DNA about the world, well, goodness gracious, let's have at it. Let's be like a big giant pile of ants for God. And let's just go. Seriously. That's the call. Be encouraged. Don't be overwhelmed. Are you involved in a piece of the world pie? Let's own it. Let's own it. Hear the love the nations call. Own the love the nations call. Third, live the nations call. Um, now it's the point where, so what do I do? So what does this mean? So Doug, you are now going to tell me that I need to go home and sell all my stuff. And in fact, now I'm getting it. That's why you're in small groups. You're having us read this radical book because the radical book says you should go home and sell all your stuff and be a missionary over in wherever. And I should be, now you're telling me, I get the setup. No. If that's what you're thinking, you're not understanding what I'm talking about here, what I'm intending And by the way, you're also not understanding Platt in his book. It's not what it's about. It's about upping the ante. And do I see God big enough to start getting really serious about living for him? That's the call. So right now, as someone who the majority of my life was a lay person, a business person, Usually this is the point where when I heard sermons about this kind of loving the nations, loving the world, this is usually where the big giant guilt pill was all of a sudden laid out. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of where us pastors oftentimes leave it to where we don't know where to go from here. So what we end up doing is we say, listen, who among here is called to be a pastor full time? Who among here is called to be a missionary? Isn't it? Seriously, that's usually where it goes. I want to let you know, that's not what this is talking about here. You know what? If there were some where God said, you know what? I need to sell and I need to go minister to to wherever. Wonderful. Maybe God would have that. If there are some who are called to full-time ministry, maybe, wonderful, go for it. We're with you. We want to help you. Your church should be a part of raising you to that place. But I want to tell you for the rest of us, if you will, God wants you engaged. God wants you involved. It's not their job. It's your job, our job in all of this. So I want to leave you with some hope here. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to finish this in a weird kind of way, which fits me. Um, I'm not going to take you to the story of the Apostle Paul and say, see, Paul, you need to be like Paul. Because I don't know, I don't think many of us, I hope we don't, I don't think there are many in here who are like, yeah, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to come in here and I'm not going to all of a sudden take you to somebody who is like, quote, full-time ministry reality. I want to take you quickly to three lay people. Okay? Three lay, how many? Three. Okay, look at your clock. How much time do I have left? Not a whole lot, so we're going to buzz through. First one is a teen. Second one is a woman. Third one is a man. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is about a teen. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to give hope. Hope here. Look at how these three, as lay people, not being called to go into full-time ministry, not being uh, called forward to, to go to Africa, just living life, and yet look at the world involved. We're just starting at home. We're starting in Jerusalem, Acts 1, verse 8. First uh, Samuel 17, you there? All right. Who's this about? David and Goliath. Why would we be going there? Well, uh, David was a teen farmer. 
at this point. He was a farm kid. Hey, we're, we're in Indiana. We know about that. May not be one, may not have been raised as one, but we know about farmers. We know about farm kids. We can all relate to the farm kid. David was a shepherd kid. He was probably at this point somewhere around his teens. We know he was too young to actually be in the military. Okay? Now, what was happening in the context of the situation is the Israelites were in a battle with the Philistines. So they're in this valley area, and there's this valley down low. The Israelites, let's say they're up over there against, against that wall, and then the Philistines are up over here against that wall, and, and they're in this, quote, battle. In this battle, the structure of this is, is when people were in battle, they didn't have Humvees, they didn't have cafeterias that they could move around to be able to feed everybody. So it was common that actually what would happen is the family would end up sending food for their own who are on the quote, battlefront, because this really wasn't much of a battle. And so what was happening was David was sent by daddy to take food to the boys out on the front. So David goes and, and just, I was the youngest of three brothers. So I so relate to this, you know, you're your younger one and you just want to be a part of what's going on. And yet you annoy the older ones. And yeah, many of you know about that. And so he's out there taking food to them. Let's pick up 17 verse 24. Let me get there first. 17, verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man... Oh, by the way, I didn't fill you in on this, just so you know. The Philistines had a really big boy. He was a WWF kind of guy on steroids. Well, aren't they all? Um, In fact, he was about 11 foot tall. Uh, Can you say big boy? Yeah, he's about 11 foot tall. And so what they would do is every morning and every evening, they'd send Goliath out and he'd kind of come out here and he would jeer on the Israelites. And it's like, yeah, you are like the people of God. Yeah, your God's real big. Come on out, send one of your own, fight me. Because I am like a stud WWF man. And they would be like, let's take a look. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him. What a bunch of mighty followers of God there. Seeing God big. I can relate to that. I'd probably be running too at times. And they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? Oh, my word. This man is huge. He's come up. Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. That way, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Verse 26. And David, he's there. Little David, I, you know, he's a teen, so I don't want to be like he's a hey, little David, but he's a teenager. And he said to the men who stood by him, he's hanging around, sticking his head between shoulders, trying to see what's going on like I did with my brothers. Uh, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? (laughs) Look at this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Oh, my word. Listen, uh, this is a teenager who's got a God grid. You see, when he sees life, he doesn't just see individuals. He's seeing God in life circumstances. Hey, uh, by the way, he's not on a boat going over missions overseas. He just is in a life situation at hand, right at home. Now, this is kind of a big situation. You and I are usually in this kind of situation, but it's a big situation of life, at least what he's experiencing. And here is David in this whole thing. He's like, look at these guys going, excuse me. But from what I remember, Yahweh is like our man. What's the deal? Suck it up, you guys. Have you forgot how big God is? 11 foot. Check my God out. How annoying if you were these other guys. How convicting if you were these other guys. So that's what happens here. And uh, David ends up uh, uh, meeting with Saul for a little bit. Uh, King Saul. Uh, Let's jump over to verse 34-ish. Yeah, but David said to Saul, because Saul's like, you're crazy. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Man, what a stud. Your servant was struck down with, has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, this 11 foot dude, shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Frankly, this sounds kind of uh, arrogant. Wait a second. Let's keep reading. Verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
Hey, hey friends, here's part of my point uh, here at this point is, um, do you see God in your normal circumstances of life doing a work in and through and around you? You see, David, he's just, he's just this ignorant little nobody shepherd fighting a lion and a bear. <laughs> and yet he brings all of that faith reality to a situation now. God had prepared him for this whole thing because he was living it at home. And so now in this situation, he goes, but here's what I want to finish on here with David here. Let's go down to verse 45 and 46. David said to the Philistines, so he's out in front with uh, Goliath. You got a little uh, closer perspective. I'm sure Goliath is looking a little bit bigger when you're about 20 feet away or however far he was than when you're about 180 feet away. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Look at this, verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head, give you dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the air. Look at this, that all the earth may know that there is a God. That's what I was getting at. This is what David was saying. A teen boy handling the situations of life. And what does he have? He has a world perspective on opportunity. Listen, opportunities right here at home have the opportunity to be used by God way beyond you. And we too often think, oh, loving the nations means I have to go there. No, it doesn't. You have to live it here. Live it here. Oh, uh, so I don't have to go. <laughs> Let's not cut the slices. Let's just do it. Live it here. Live it here. Hey, this is a teen that had a worldview in how he handled life right where he's at home. Uh, just one other here. I got to keep going. Let's go to uh, a woman, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Uh, this woman's name is Mary. No, this is not the mother of Jesus. Uh, this Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. If you've heard the stories of Martha and uh, Mary, Martha was the very industrious one. She was the one all fidgety in the kitchen, all nervous about everybody being comfortable and house looking nice and food on the table. And there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is like, so cool, sit at my feet. I want to tell you, this woman right here, this lay woman, this was a worship God woman. Uh, let's take a look here. Here she is, Matthew 26, verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head, and he reclined. Um, did I read that right? Yeah. And she, a uh, flask of very expensive ointment. By the way, expensive ointment, like just think of your year's salary pouring on his feet. Or I'm sorry, pouring it out. And she poured it out on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why the waste? Uh, here's a statement. For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Hey, guess what? That was a true statement. It could have been sold for a lot. It could have been sold for a lot and helped some poor. It would have been a great thing to do. It would have been a really good thing to do. But they're seeing, and they're seeing crazy women. Jesus is looking and seeing crazy worship. Verse 10, but Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment out on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, where? In the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Get out of here. Listen, this was a woman who was all about loving God. I mean, she wasn't thinking about her city. She wasn't thinking about her country. She wasn't thinking about the world. She was just thinking about God. And she got really radical about loving God. So radical that she did like a really radical thing. And a God who's radically worshipped can use it for him in ways that you don't even know about. I want for you to know here, because this isn't a, a feel guilty for the rest of the world day. 
This is a, listen folks, think the world right where you are. Not only can the things that you be doing be used in a way and declared in a way to be used all over the place, but God can use it in ways you don't even know about. Am I thinking that way? Are you thinking that way? Last thing, John Mark, a man. We won't go to the passages on this. Basically, Acts chapter 12 through 15 and such. Uh, John Mark, uh, let's call him a churched up person. Uh, John Mark grew up in Jerusalem. Um, His parents had a house church. Um, They were church planting of these people. Uh, They're meeting in their house. Uh, uh, Mark is growing up in this home where... He's seeing ministry happen all around him. He's like on the front line of what's taking place. But he's just watching. He's helping. He's had to sweep the house. He's had to prepare things. He's had to get chairs ready or they sat on the floor or they had to get food ready. I mean, all the kind of stuff you do for small group or having people over. John Martin knows about that. He did it. And the home that he grew in was such an important home in the church at the time that after Peter was released from jail miraculously by an angel... Where does Peter go? Peter goes over to that house. I just bring that up because Mark had a very unique upbringing, unique from David, unique from the woman. Uh, But here, John Mark is just a normal guy. He's not a full-time ministry guy. He's just a lay guy. No, he's a layman, not just. You see, but in the whole thing, he sees opportunities. He loves God. He's serving in various ways. And John Mark has the opportunity to tag along with Saul and Barnabas on the missionary trip. Now, I'm in on that one. I'd love to be able to watch that. But I'd really, frankly, I'd rather be in the shadow than out front on that tour. And that was what John Mark was. I don't know what John Mark did, but I'm just going to guess he probably loaded boat. He probably moved furniture. He probably hauled stuff. He was probably just there to assist and watch. We don't see uh, John Mark doing great sermons in the scripture. We don't see John Mark starting ministries. We don't see John Mark being one who is uh, 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 doing the great, things that we often think someone impacting the world would do. John Mark was the kind of guy who just wanted to be around God doing the work. This meant that John had to orient John Mark had to orient his schedule and his life to be able to be a part of that by the way. Does God fit into my life the way I have it or should I fit my life around hmm hmm uh, by the way, a piece of encouragement, John Mark didn't have it all together because he goes on this little trip and we find out in uh, Acts 15 and such, we find out that actually uh, he bails. Why did he bail? We don't know why he bailed. But uh, because of the way the Apostle Paul later, I think in Acts 15, talks about on the next trip, I don't, I'm not bringing him along. I think it's because he bailed because of something related to ministry. I'm just making a guess. He saw ministry, he saw it wasn't easy, he saw it was harder than he thought. I don't know what it was, but he bailed. That gives me hope. It really does. Because then what ends up happening later, we see in Colossians. In fact, we see in Colossians 4.10. We find him later on actually right there ministering with Paul. We also find John Mark in 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul talks about, hey, send John Mark because he's valuable to me. Here's a guy who knows failure. Here's a guy who knows what it is to be a team player. Oh, yeah, and that's right. God also used a guy like this to write one of the Gospels of Scripture. I just want to, I'm just trying to put out there, folks, it is a daunting thing about having an impact on the nations. It is a daunting thing. But if we see it in its reality where there is a God who works with his people, who works through his people to do that, then the question is, is am I willing to be a piece, have a piece of that? Am I willing to be a part of that? It can't be done alone. It's intended to be done together. 
I just see Josh and Rachel here this morning getting ready to plant in Bloomington. Listen, it's not about Josh and Rachel only, right? It's about getting other people who want to be a part of this thing, to be able to have an impact together. And my goodness, out of Harvest Bloomington, those people right now who probably aren't even thinking about the world are wondering, should I be a part of this? If they get to be a part of that, my goodness, out of that church, they could have influence across the world. Oh, and by the way, so could here. I want to just put a hunger out there for us and encourage you. Listen, hear it, hear it, and own it. I don't even want for you to be like, what do I do? Or I'm frustrated with what do I do? I can't grasp it. I'm just like this. Just hear it and own it right now. And I'd like for you this week just to pray. I'm serious. Would you go home this week and just pray? God, you love the nations. I don't even know what this looks like for me. But God, would you instill an increasing love for me, for the world? And God, would you begin preparing me for just having a piece of this? Could you do that? I'm serious. That's the application I'd like for you to do this week. Go home and pray. Pray for the world. Maybe at dinner, pull out a map. If you have kids, pray for the world. On the news, when things are going on, stop it and just pray for the world. Begin instilling within you and I a heart for the world. Listen, God has called us. We're a walk before we run church right now. We're in the process of putting things together, but you get after it. Love, love, let's love the world. The whole thing, it's not just about Avon, Indiana, Plainfield, or Brownsburg, or Danville, or Indianapolis. It's about the world, isn't it? Let's love the world. Hey, God, I just pray right now as I put all this stuff out on the table, I realize in some ways how I've done this, the way I've gone about it could literally just be frustrating, folks, because it's like, what do I do? What do I do? I think it's good that we wrestle with that right now. I really do. God, I just pray that right now we would be considering, do I love the world? What's my mindset? Do I care? Am I interested? God, could you use me? Lord, we so struggle with just being about ourselves. I do. Would you help us? May we be faithful right here at home. God, I pray at lunch. Lunch would be about the world. Lord, I pray today. The small groups that we would go to small groups looking at all the people in our small group for those who are going tonight, and they would see the world in that room right there. And Lord, I pray on Monday as we go to work, that as we go into the office, as we go into the factory, as we go into the place where we work, that we would see those people as the world and an opportunity. God, I pray for those parents, for those moms, for those dads who stay at home with kids, that they would see their kids as part of the world ministry. And God, I pray you would instill in this church not just a talk about the world deal, but God, would you give us wisdom and a passion that is a for real being about the world. Help us as right now we're seeking to develop this out over some time. Oh God, we want to be a part. Uh, we want to have a piece of the ministry to the world for your glory. Help us get hungry. In your name we pray. Amen.